This week in KMA Land, Page County explores a jail referendum. Red Oak City officials and Montgomery County officials agree to fix an aging rail spur. Also, a KMA Land native is being recognized for their achievements in weight loss. All that and more coming up on This Week in KMA Land. Good morning, I'm Ryan Matheny in for the vacationing Mike Peterson with a look back at some of the top news stories from around KMA Land this last week. We start in Page County. Page County officials have taken the next step in getting a referendum in front of the voters on a new county jail and public safety facility. During the regular meeting this week, the board, by a 2-1 to vote, approved to have Samuels Group and the county jail committee move forward with preparing floor plans, finalizing costs, and developing renderings in hopes of placing a referendum on the ballot as soon as the November city school elections. Page County Sheriff Lyle Palmer says the jail committee is recommending placing the new facility on the county farm on the south side of Clarenda, just west of U.S. Highway 71, and including a new sheriff's office, dispatch center, and an office for the county emergency management agency. Additionally, Palmer says the committee is recommending the inclusion of an emergency operations center or EOC meeting room. That is something where EMA, fire, <laughs> law enforcement, EMS, we can all meet there as well as the Board of Supervisors, and we would have access to not only Wi-Fi, Internet, everything that we would need to make decisions on that. We could show video if we could get a live feed from a drone or something up there. That would help us to try to discuss what our next plan is. Uh, engineer could meet with us. Just different entities could meet there. It could also be held as a press room. The board's approval, Palmer says the committee will also work with Samuels Group to determine the language for the referendum. Between the four county entities, estimates from Samuels Group, which the county hired to assist in the project, placed the new facility around $15 million, including $9.4 million for the jail, $3.1 million for a sheriff's office, $1.7 million for EMA, and $922,000 for dispatch. Supervisor Judy Clark who made the motion for approval says it's time to move forward on the project and have all those agencies under one roof for easy coordination. The longer we wait, the more expensive, the more expensive it's going to be. It all needs to be built under one roof. Everybody needs to be at the same place, the sheriff, the jail, the dispatchers, EMA, all need to be in the same place. So if there's a disaster or if there's anything else, if there's a, an uprising in the jail, the sheriff and the department needs to be there to help. Additionally, for another $2 million, which would come from the city of Clarinda, Samuels Group has provided an option to include the Clarinda Police Department. However, the supervisors chose to initially not include them in hopes of getting the issue to a vote by November as they face a filing deadline of September 21st. However, Clark added that it ultimately isn't up to the supervisors on whether the county does the new jail. Instead, it's up to voters. Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes, who cast the lone dissenting vote, aired concerns over how much to include with the jail. While acknowledging the need for a new jail space, Holmes says square footage costs and architectural fees add up quickly, even on smaller offices, such as the two proposed for emergency management due to being attached to the jail. For her office, 12 by 18 room, it's more $132,000 to hold her desk and computer. So that's the director's office. An extra EM office is 88,000. So we're at 200,000 for two little bitty offices, not even, not even 400 square feet. Like we're talking tiny. So I just have concern about including all these things that are extra. I'm not, nobody's arguing about the jail. I don't think any of us are arguing the jail's in bad shape and it needs help. 
I get it. What do we attach to? Holmes feels the county could find a more cost-effective option, such as the old Shopco building in Clarenda for emergency management, and also pointed to six-figure costs for individual offices within the sheriff's office's estimate. However, Greg Wild with Samuels Group emphasized that the numbers before the board are cost estimates rather than finalized floor plans. He added that his company has always designed a jail with a sheriff's office attached. The reason we haven't done it is because from an operational standpoint, it's lunacy. It truly is lunacy to have sheriff's office, investigators, uh, others not attached, not part of providing security for a jail housing unit. It, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Clark also expressed faith in Samuel Group's design and planning due to their experience building jails. Supervisor Todd Mara added he felt comfortable including all four entities under one roof and said it's time to put it before their constituents for a vote. They have a right to speak and vote, and this is going to affect every generation you know, for a long time coming up. So the, the citizens are going to let you know if you have a good plan or not a good plan. And they're going to... You know, yeah, it could fall on its face, it could fail, um, but you're never going to know that either unless you take the chance to, to let people talk and learn about it and um, investigate it for themselves. Palmer added they would also have bids sought before going to a bond issue referendum so voters know just how expensive the project would be. Additionally, Palmer says they would want to be as transparent as possible, including tours of the current jail to see the conditions of the 1936 structure. The board instructed Samuels Group to return next week's regular meeting to elaborate on the details and financials of increasing public awareness, such as holding town hall meetings with possible action to follow. Well, Red Oak City officials have thrown their support behind financially contributing to repairs of a railroad spur on the west side of town. Meeting in regular session this week by a 3-0 to zero vote, the Red Oak City Council approved a one-year economic development support agreement with the Montgomery County Development Corporation for the repair of a Burlington Northern Santa Fe railroad spur stretching between Bungie and the railroad's main line, along with authorizing the transfer of ownership of the spur from the Red Oak Chamber and Industry Association to MCDC. During a previous meeting, MCDC Executive Director Steve Adams said the updated bids his organization received from Ameritrack Rail proposed that the city, Montgomery County, and Bungie share in the project's cost. Red Oak Mayor Shauna Sylvia said that would result in the city contributing through an economic development grant. This is going to be about $18,000 for this first year. 15 of it will cover the cost of um, our half of repairs or about $26,000. Per the agreement, the remaining 3000 would go towards the necessary insurance expenses and property taxes concerning the rail spurs operation. Silvius adds $3,000 would be allocated through a similar economic development grant in the future for additional maintenance. However, Adams has also previously expressed optimism about the number of cars potentially using the spur to generate enough revenue to address ongoing maintenance. While they've looked into other funding sources, Red Oak City Administrator Kyra Smith says the financial advisors have suggested using the general fund for initial repairs to the bond council and they just think the general funds right now for this year mm -hmm. and then we can look at other options for the years moving forward particularly sylvia says the bond council has suggested looking into tiff revenue in the future not only for maintenance on the spur but funding for mcdc and the red oak chamber adams added the council's approval monday night comes well within the timeline to secure the proposed costs from june 22nd that bid that we have from Emeritus Rail is uh, good for 20 days. So once this is approved, we're still within that 20 day cost estimate. So if we can 
mail it down here before that time runs out, there will not be any changes to that bid whatsoever. And now the Montgomery County Board of Supervisors joined other local officials in throwing their financial support behind the repair. At their regular meeting on Wednesday, by a 4-1 to one vote, the board approved the Montgomery County Development Corporation's recommendation of a half financial support between the city of Red Oak and Montgomery County for repairs to the rail spur. Per the agreement, the county would allocate $18,000 in fiscal year 2024 and up to $3,000 in future fiscal years for maintenance, the same amounts approved by the Red Oak City Council. Meanwhile, Bungie would field over $22,000 worth of the initial repairs. While it's difficult to forecast how much revenue would be generated from the spur, MCDC Executive Director Steve Adams says they expect to raise the per-car fee for using the line. That's asking us or Bungie or anybody else to crystal ball what might happen going forward. Right. Obviously, $50 per car is way too low. I had a lot of time to look up average lease rates, and it would appear that between two and $300 a car is a more likely per car estimate. <laughs> if it exceeds our expectations, are you asking us, will we provide you back with a return on investment? That's really hard to forecast. Adam says Bungie expects to run two to four cars weekly, but that number could increase based on other potential users. Supervisor Randy Cooper believes Clarios, the former Johnson Controls, just down the road from Bungie, could be a likely user of the spur in the future. Currently now, they are loading some of their product, which is batteries, mostly, isn't it? That's why they're it from yeah. here to Kansas City and then put it on a rail and run from there. Now, that might be the direction that rail goes. I think there's pretty good possibilities of Clarios coming on board and doing the same thing. However, Adams added that Clarios is considering an expansion that could change the rail access to the spur. Nonetheless, Supervisor Chair Mike Olson says he'd like to see ownership of the spur remain in local hands with MCDC, who would take ownership from the Red Oak Chamber and Industry Association. It's been in local hands. I'd hate to see corporate get older, but who knows what would happen. I'd hate to give up the option of the distribution center or Clarios moving 10 cars a week or or whatever, or if you lose that option for you as spur. Supervisor Donna Robinson cast the lone dissenting vote while acknowledging the future economic development possibilities with the spur. Robinson says she's had too many conversations with residents throughout the county that feel it's not a county taxpayer issue. And you understand I represent the east portion of the county, and I also had conversations with people from the middle of the county in the San area. And I, I so I just want for clarification for that purpose that, that not everybody feels like this is a Montgomery County taxpayer issue. It tends to be more of a rental issue. Adam says the hopes to begin repairs this month with a spur operational by August 1st, which is Bungie's deadline for when they would like to start using it. A KMA land native recently received statewide recognition for her accomplishments in weight loss. Born and raised on a farm near Bedford, Karen Hensley was named the 2022 Tops Iowa Queen and was honored at the state recognition event at the Holiday Inn Airport in Des Moines last month. Tops Club Incorporated is an international weight loss organization that recognizes its members who have officially recorded the largest weight loss from their starting weight at the end of each year, regardless of the time taken to reach their goal. After losing 75.75 pounds since joining the group in 2020, Hensley was selected as the Queen. Hensley, a Bedford High graduate, what tells KMA News she was shocked to receive the recognition. I didn't join Tops to win a crown, so to speak. I just wanted to lose weight. Now, I knew I, I had made some very good progress, so 
I am proud to be their queen. After being retired for a few years, Hensley says she joined Tops at 73 years old after hearing about the group from her family members who were also part of the organization. After her health began to deteriorate, Hensley says she got serious about losing weight and improving her health to spend as much time as possible with her family. And I knew that if I did not take care of my health, I wasn't going to live the long life that my mother enjoyed. She lived to be 99 and a half, and she got to enjoy all of her grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I had just had a great-grandson born, and, and I knew that if I didn't take care of my health, I wouldn't be around to watch him grow up. Within 18 months of joining the organization, Hensley said she'd reached her goal weight. Hensley attributed much of her weight loss journey to the diet she worked on with her doctor, which she says was quite restrictive compared to her old eating habits. The diet plan I had talked about with my doctor, where I eat no sugar and no flour. It's kind of a, a restrictive diet compared to a lot of what people eat, but it worked for me, and I'm still eating that way today. Hensley says Tops also provided plenty of flexibility in shaping her individual plan and giving plenty of opportunities for group support and education. She also took up plenty of exercise on her stationary bike and took daily walks throughout her neighborhood, which she still does to this day. Throughout those 18 months, Hensley says she also had weekly check-ins on her weight, while it was challenging, she says the consistent progress and support from other group members and her family were all she needed to stay committed. And every week that I would go and lost weight, it improved my self-esteem and my confidence. And my group members were encouraging and supported me and cheered me on. So it was wonderful to be crowned. And I had great family support while I was trying to do this along the way. Hensley says local groups in southwest Iowa are located in Shenandoah, Clarinda, Bedford, Corning, Atlantic, and Creston for those interested in TOPS and beginning a similar weight loss journey. Still to come on This Week in KMA Land, Glenwood looks at developing a disc golf course and Tarkio Tech is getting a facelift. All that and more coming up on This Week in KMA Land. Welcome back to This Week in KMA Land. A proposed disc golf course in Glenwood is currently in the planning phase. Meeting in regular session late last week, the Glenwood City Council heard a preliminary proposal from Park Board member Vanessa Covington, who's been working with a developer on the design of a proposed course at Glenwood Lake Park. Covington says she brought the idea forward after seeing the popularity of disc golf from her son. We feel like it would be a great asset to our community. It would um, bring people in. Disc golfers love to try out new courses. So, you know, you may have someone from Council Bluffs who plays in Council Bluffs all the time, but man, if there's a new course, let's drive over here and, and from all over. Eric Tribblehorn of Zenith Disc Golf spent time at the park in Glenwood surveying the area and put together the proposal. Covington says the course would start in a wooded area in the north part of the park and weave its way on the eastern edge to the cross-country course. At the park, kind of behind the cross-country course, there's some rugged trails. And that is part of the proposal to start the course there. And then it would meander up onto the um, nature trail cross-country course without impeding on the cross-country course nature trail. It would be on the edges sort of because I, I made sure in talking to him, I'm like, cross-country is a big deal. We're not going to affect the course. It would be kind of on the outlying and the grassy areas. While an exact cost figure isn't known, Covington says preliminary estimates put the cost of installing a new course between twenty-seven dollars and $30,000. It's typically between $1,500 and $1,700 per hole. 
So if you're doing an 18 hole golf course, but he has um, fundraising set up with his proposal. And, and most, most disc golf courses do, they do fundraising. He is a little more involved, but when he designs a course and they do the fundraising, they typically raise between 60 and 70%. Covington says the park board would explore ways to fund additional money needed beyond fundraising. She says she's also open to building the course nine holes at a time over two years to spread out the cost. In terms of maintenance, Covington says she hopes local disc golfers will pitch in to help. A lot of communities have disc golf courses, have like a disc golf club. There's people that are very invested in that course they want to keep it nice and they you know they will do a like a monthly meetup and and do clean up that sort of thing so um that's something to keep in mind um with that and i know that we would have support initially and it would just gain in popularity council took no action on the proposal instructing covington to meet with school officials to ensure they're agreeable to using space on the cross-country course Facility renovations are continuing to move along at a rural Northwest Missouri Technology Institute. Back in 2020, Tarkio Tech was opened on the former Tarkio College campus to bring various trade and technology education back to the region. However, staff and advocates also continue to face the arduous task of renovating the 13 buildings on campus that sat vacant for over 20 years when the school closed in 1992. John Davis is president of Tarkio Tech. He tells KMA News renovations at the Thompson Learning Center, which was built in 1968, is one of the youngest facilities and is primarily where the school is located and they're nearly complete despite the school working on a somewhat limited budget we are putting a new roof on that at the, as as we speak uh, and then there was an elevator in the building that uh, did not work and we had to get that repaired in order to open up our third floor where some of our health science programs will be um, that is also taking place this summer so with those last two adjustments and then the HVAC system on the third floor was a, a standalone system up there, and that's also in the process of being uh, uh, repaired or, or replaced. So that will make this building, uh, in terms of major systems, completely done. Davis adds that Dr. Jack Schmidt Welding Center, which has been open since 2021, has been completely restored. Meanwhile, Davis says work continues on one of the three original buildings, Rankin Hall, he says work's been and will continue to be extensive in restoring the structure. Rankin would be the oldest one, and, and we have done a lot of repairs in there, but we still have to repair a couple of flat roofs between the, the slate roofs there, and we're getting bids on that. That will make that building uh, very secure. Uh, we are putting new windows in there on a donation basis, and at that point we'll be able to really attack the inside. Other original structures on campus include a welding center and an old science building. However, as enrollment grows at the tech school, Davis says the plan is to turn the old science building into the school's first official dormitory. We're badly in need of housing, although we have uh, five dorms on campus. None of them are inhabitable and uh, the building that was originally a science building we are converting into our first dorm because it will be much quicker and much less expensive to to create a, a uh, housing facility there he adds that the housing renovation is scheduled for this fall plants are currently underway for establishing a cafeteria once those upgrades are complete davis says they plan to address the roofs on other buildings on campus before they deteriorate beyond repair Turkey Tech also recently received over $1 million in a donation from the current estate, which will go towards continued renovation efforts at the school. 
Iowa lawmakers are expected to head back to the state house early next week to discuss abortion legislation. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds is calling the state legislature back into a special session next Tuesday to pass abortion restrictions. The statement from the governor's office does not indicate what Reynolds wants to see in a bill. However, it does reference the so-called heartbeat law that was signed in 2018 to ban most abortions after fetal activity can be detected, which is around the sixth week of pregnancy. The move comes just weeks after the Iowa Supreme Court ruled 3-3 to last month to keep in place an injunction by a lower court that blocked the 2018 law and kept regulations allowing abortions up to 20 weeks in a pregnancy. State Senator Tom Shipley tells KMA News he was not surprised to see the governor call for a special session following the court's ruling. I was just basically waiting to find out what day and what time I was supposed to be there. So um, we speculated, you know, even before session was over that if the Supreme Court did not rule or rule differently than they did, uh, there would probably be a special session. The Corning Republican says he expects the legislature to reaffirm the 2018 law, which does provide exceptions for situations like rape, incest, or the life of the mother. But even if they pass a new law, Shipley says the issue will likely never be totally resolved due to the strong opinions on both sides of the argument. It's going to be fought about for forever until somebody comes up with something and the been going at it now for over 50 years and I don't see anybody coming up with a good hard fast answer so um, but I, I believe most people in my district are supportive of it um, you know I hear from people that are not um, but on the other hand I hear from a great number of people who are so uh, I believe that's where we're headed. Meanwhile, State Senator Mark Costello says he was also pleased to see Reynolds call for the session. The Imogene Republican expressed disappointment in the Iowa Supreme Court's June ruling and called their remarks that the 2018 law was too old, unusual. I thought that, you know, their reasoning was a little bit uh, unusual, and I I was disappointed in uh, the ones that uh, voted this way. Um, but I guess we just have to react to it and see how they uh go forward with the, the, the new legislation being passed. Saying he is, quote, pro-life, Costello believes the 2018 law or similar legislation would be the best way to react to the court's ruling. Heartbeat is uh, a very clear a, a clear progression in the life of the baby. I would probably go uh, even to conception myself, but I think that's what we can pass is the heartbeat bill right now without having a lot of time. The governor's proclamation calls for the legislature to reconvene at 8.30 a.m. next Tuesday. Republican lawmakers currently hold a supermajority in the legislature. Montgomery and Page Counties plan to share a public health administrator on an interim basis. That's according to Montgomery County Public Health Administrator Samantha Beeson, who informed the Montgomery County Board of Supervisors this week that the Montgomery and Page County Boards of Health have signed an agreement to share her services effective on July 1st. The move comes after former Page County Public Health Administrator Richard Mullen resigned last month. However, before he left the county, Beeson says Mullen had contacted her about the possibility of the two counties sharing the position on an interim basis. We thought this would be a great time to possibly work with another county, um, merge services or see if our services and their services line up to do. But right now it's just um, myself as the administrator to oversee. So hours will vary weekly. Um, from what they need me down there for, for meetings and such, and then be up here. She adds the year-long agreement will have an assessment at six months to see how the sharing is going. Beeson says both county attorneys have reviewed and given the green light to the agreement. The move comes as Beeson says there are talks about regionalizing public health in the state. While they've still yet to learn what that would look like, Beeson doesn't expect much to change in the day-to-day -day operations at a local level. I don't foresee, no, this is my opinion, 
much changing locally um, because I feel like for public health, you need that local representation in each county because we know our resources. I think it's going to be the funding that is going to change instead of the state sending out 99 contracts for the local public health grant. They're going to send out one contract to one county and then everybody with some subcontract with that county for those dollars. The talks have primarily revolved around the recent condensing of the Iowa Department of Public Health and Human Services. But at least from what they've been told, Beeson says that was primarily due to redundancy between the two departments. Finally, patrons utilizing electric vehicles in and around Sydney will notice a slight change in pricing at the city's charging stations. The Sydney City Council this week approved setting a charging fee of 15 cents per kilowatt hour along with a $1 service fee at its two charging stations located the new, next to the new gazebo park just off the north end of the downtown square. The fees come after council members discuss how they could counteract the city paying an electric service fee for the two charging stations. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, you can log on to kmaland.com where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, I'm Ryan Matheny filling in for Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.